Welcome to the Brisbane Property Podcast with your hosts, Melinda and Scott Jennison from Streamline Property Buyers, your local Brisbane property specialists. Um, we've got some guests in today. We're just going to chat about um, Brisbane growing and where everyone is going to live. So I'd just like to introduce uh, everyone in our panel. I've got Jonathan Bell from Housemark, uh, Andrew Burke from Ray White Special Projects, and Alex Seddon from Seddon Town Planning, um, and Melinda Jennison and myself from Streamline Primary Buyers. So interesting, before we do start, Andrew, you actually said something before we started that um, people love property and they're obsessed by property. So I, I, I grabbed that and I thought that's a good way to start to um, to talk about property in Brisbane and how Brisbane is changing and growing over time and, and where we're going to move forward in the, in the future. Yeah, look, I think, um, you know, it's nice topic is really about understanding you know, where is everybody going to live? We can look at the population movements that have occurred into Queensland, more specifically into southeast Queensland, if we want to get more granulite, into Brisbane itself. Uh, not only uh, not only in the, the most recent years, but certainly in the last 12 months, there's more people that have moved to Queensland than any other state, and that's been combined as a result of both um, interstate migration off the back of the COVID. We've all heard that story. But all been out in the international quarters that have opened up, and actually got more international migrants coming into Brisbane. So the combined effect is more and more people relocating to Brisbane, and yet we have um, a housing crisis. You know, we've heard this in the news. You've heard that there's an undersupply of rental properties, and that's the issue that we're really wanting to tackle. Because this is not something that has developed overnight. This is something that has developed over many, many years. Um, and it's great tonight that we've got Jonathan to provide some perspective from property management, um, perspective we've got the town planning expert, Alex Stephan, to help us understand how, you know, changes to the planning schemes and, um, and government legislation have actually led to the current issues. And we've also got Ed um, and government legislation have actually led to the current issues. And we've also got Andrew, who's going to help us to understand what they have to do with the pipeline in terms of the land supply and medium density development uh, sales look like. So we've got a good group of experts here to really help you understand what's actually going on today because this is not an issue that's easily resolved in a quick way. And I think that's what's most important to take away um, from tonight and hopefully we'll be able to, to help you with lots of facts around what's really going on. So we'll go through a few different topics tonight and we'll and we'll share it all around for under sort of throwing their knowledge and um, Things like um, land supply, house and unit supply, council approvals, um, infill opportunities, legislation changes, infrastructure, zoning, and, and sustainable growth. Um, I guess from a grassroots point of the point of view, we need land and land supply. So Andrew, land and land supply. So Andrew, um, what are you sort of seeing on the on the, from the special project side of it with that land supply? I mean, obviously, at the start, we need the land before we could do the houses and the approvals to the rental properties. So, I guess starting at a grass grassroots side, what are you seeing out there on that sort of boy? Yep. So, obviously, it's undersupplied. So, uh, so I work for Ray White Special Projects. We specialise in residential investments, blocks of flats, or resident. Mainly, what we do is residential development sites. So, like all things, there's markets within markets. So, we sell land to developers who'll do units, townhouses, and subdivisions. So, if you look at I think the problem we're talking about housing affordability and a lack of supply, there's two issues. One is this 
in the paper at the moment, just this massive undersupply. Where's everyone going to live? Like that is that needs to be solved quickly. But there's always been this undersupply in Brisbane, as uh, sorry, Southeast Queensland, the last 10, 50 years. That's a broader subject. So really, it's land supply. But I, I think really a more accurate description would be active land supply. So it's all driven by, and Alex will go into this in more detail. Is the is the Southeast Queensland Regional Plan, where, layman's terms, the governments get together and say, "This is the land we're going to develop in Southeast Queensland. Here's the footprint." And so, from our point of view, because there's so many hurdles to overcome if you're outside that footprint, everyone just says, "Forget about it." It's it's pretty it's pretty hard these days to have lazy capital to say, "I think." In 20 years' time, that'll be great. I'll just pump $5 million here. That just doesn't happen these days. So what we're seeing is a real lack of active land. So the overlays, the increasing in overlays, um, just because the government will look at the active land, look, so they look at the supply, but they won't realise the overlays that impact it. And not only that don't alter the plan, so... I think it was a 2017 was the last regional plan, and they're reviewing it now, but to me, it's everything, because there's, there's lots of issues to drill into there. It's, so this was then very fragmented, and for a development to do well, they need scale. So what we're seeing on the ground is, look, it's a bit of a slightly quieter time, just what's going on in the world, but these are long-term projects, and nothing could be stronger than the southeast Queensland's market. So the medium to long-term, people taking a very bullish view, but they just can't get their hand on land. So that's, they want it, and we just don't have it. Well, what about the, and I know we, we talked about this a while ago, I think the podcast we had you, um, and we talked about the land supply then, that we crossed over with, it did a little bit of the construction issues and the supply of materials and things like that. Mm. How, how is that going in the line? Because I know we've seen it change a little bit. I think, I think it's soft a little bit, and we're starting to get materials. What about on, on that civil side? Well, it's, it's the number one issue. I mean, it's, it's actually more, it, it's more, it's changed the market far more than interest rates. It's, it's up 30, 40%. And if you're talking land subdivisions, quite often you're talking on the extremities of town. So it's more, you know, it's more resistant to, uh, you know, the big changes that happen. So it, it is, it is a big factor. 30, 40%. It's, it's, it's huge. So just, well, well, the cost of, so we do pro, uh, development management in our company and the cost of doing a one to two subdivision over the past, probably since COVID, average is about 120 grand, now it's 200. And then you add your tax, agents fees, everything on top of that to split a block of land now, you're looking at three, 250, 300 grand versus two years ago is 100 to 150. Um, and just trying to get, like the build, the getting someone to build these projects is is very hard. We're trying to quote get quotes for people to build them for, and this is subdivision, so to build the the subdivisions for mm. six months. We had someone pull out today, just like, come on, mate, it's time to go. Let's lock in some dates. You've signed the contract. They're like, we just can't do it anymore. So, so what about um, when you talk about that, Alex, and the council side of things? Is the timing of, of the council keeping up with those any approvals that are wanting to go through? Yeah, I think council's doing an okay job at it. To be honest with you, um, they're really short-staffed, just like everyone is. Um, but they, they have legislative deadlines they have to stick to, so so they're getting it. But I think what Andrew is saying, either wider land use, you know, land supply, like there really is that problem 
um, of actually having accessible land that's ready to go because you've got this SEQ regional plan in, in the planning world, it might, might shock you, but like it's pretty much completely ignored that plan. Like the, the state government will go say like the, the state government will go say all this fancy stuff and go, this is where we want growth to be. And then you'll have local councils be like, mm. we don't have infrastructure over there. We don't have a local government infrastructure plan in place. So we're not doing that. And the perfect example of that is Brisbane City Council when the state government in their SEQ regional plan said, we need more townhouses. We need mm. this to fill this gap in this missing middle. And what does local Brisbane City Council do? Like six months later, they banned townhouses. So, so it shows you the accountability of local councils to these regional plans. And just to, to help people understand, when Alex, when you say they banned townhouses, Sorry. what they proposed was um, some changes to car park ratios that made it impossible to build townhouses feasibly and banned townhouses yeah. in emerging community zones where they otherwise would have been added to be built. Is that what you're referring to? Yeah. So when I say ban, so it's kind of a, it's odd thing. So they didn't ban townhouses. <laughs> they they removed the ability to do them in low. They banned, so it's kind of a, it's odd thing. So they didn't ban townhouses. <laughs> they they removed the ability to do them in low density zones. Mm. And basically from that point forwards, and this is what people don't see it on our end of it, you've got a politician saying we're going to ban townhouses or the career mill wherever whoever coined that phrase um and then how that filters down to us is every townhouse development application that we lodged from that point forwards was a nightmare yeah like unless you are 100 percent code compliant or happy to go to court like it was just so people just started not doing them and and now we're seeing the pain that they also touched a bit on there i think on um the deep planting and things like that didn't they so not just the car park ratios which become unaffordable for developers to do but also that percentage of the land that you actually had to do deep planting yeah which obviously you can't put a building on a deep planting area so it just it just chewed up so much of the land that it become unaffordable for developers to really go through and it wouldn't stack up which doesn't stack up a developer won't develop it will they yes can't exactly remember but it basically said i can either buy a house out at like lowwood or i can buy a unit townhouses aren't affordable like for for them anymore and it's like well townhouses were meant to be the thing that that your generation could afford. But now, couldn't agree more. It's, it's that middle ring product, mm-hmm. the medium density middle ring product that, we, that we're lacking, yeah. as well as the land supply. Yeah. And um, I, I think just from a, a buyer's agent's perspective, Jonathan, you might be able to talk to this from a landlord's perspective or, or what tenants are looking for. There really is low stock in terms of what you can buy or what you can rent that, that's in that townhouse space. Um, and that is because they've stopped building them. So we've got a product that's becoming more and more scarce. Um, and of course, when we look at purchasing an investment property, we're looking for something that is scarce because generally that's going to create um, a situation where you've got a scarce product, if you've got high demand, you're going to get that upper pressure on prices. Now, we've definitely been seeing that town at the same time as the housing market has been retracting in, in terms of median values. So, you know, it's important for people to understand that these are decisions that have been made along the way by by council and government, um, you know, legislation, legislative change, I guess you can say, that that's really caused a slowdown in the development of products that have been essential but um, developers just haven't been able to bring them to the market. And, of course, that's impacted on the supply side of things. Uh, I'll, I will throw to Jonathan quickly on that. Um, and we've, we've talked about the unit um, unit supply in Brisbane and how 
I think people have changed the way they think a little bit. Yeah. Um, we've all grown up sort of everyone up here with a, with a large block of land and we like 800 odd square metres of land where you can have a cricket pitch and a pool and a shed and everything else. And I think I think we're starting to change, um, whether it's because people have moved up from out down south and that's the lifestyle they're used to. Lifestyle, yeah, which is another thing. People want to live close to and restaurants and the transport and all those types of things. So that in unit space is probably some area that we could probably capitalise more on in that infill and, and growing Brisbane a little bit more. Yeah. How do you see that on the, on the rental side of it? Yeah, it's, is it still popular? Yeah, exactly. What we've heard here is identical to what's happening in the um, rental space. So we're finding that middle tier is really strong. Vacancy rates are really low. All that media around the lines outside the houses and everyone's seeing this extremely tight rental market that's really happening in those units townhouses in that middle tier between say four hundred dollars a week and eight hundred dollars a week that's why we're seeing that demand mm. which is not surprising um and i think you know we all know through what um we've read and, and seen in the media just how strong high house prices in brisbane grew in that post-covid period when we look at the housing market we had more than 40 percent growth in brisbane house prices across um, a period of nearly, well, just under two years, more than 40% growth in Brisbane house prices across um, a period of nearly, well, just under two years. Now, we have seen those prices come back a little bit since then, but that's really strong growth. And, and because of that, we saw an affordability shift. People who previously could afford to purchase a house no longer could afford to buy a house. And so they'd compromise on the product type to stay in the same locations. But it's the same in the rental market. Previously, what people could rent um, in and around the inner and middle ring suburbs, they're having to now make the compromise on potentially the product type and looking at townhouses and units as an alternative to stay within an affordable price point because we all know what's happening in the greater economy with interest rates rising, cost of living increasing because of the inflationary pressures. It is putting pressure on household budgets and so people are making compromises and, and we're seeing that play out in the housing market as well. Yeah, and we're seeing um, that there's a shift in those younger generations. They're happy to compromise those younger generations. They're happy to compromise that I want the house out um, 30 kilometres away. They're happy to have the townhouse or the apartment closer than the city with amenities around it as well. Especially the way Brisbane's growing. Yeah. I mean, you get closer to the city. Yeah, we, I know we talk about the Olympics in 2032, but the, the amount of things in the infrastructure and, you know, Queen's Wharf, we've already seen how it's with walls. And- yeah. Texas happening now on the river, everything around the CBD is attracting people to live those areas. And no one wants to sit around the weekend and actually want the lifestyle to go out and, and use the entertainment and use the city, which is actually changing so much. 100%. And I'll also just add to that, you know, with the Olympic Games, and it's an event everybody's talking about, the Olympic Games will change um, the way we, we live and commute around Brisbane. And that's because of the infrastructure that's being developed as we speak and, and will come. Um, to prepare for that event. Uh, but in actual fact, 57% of the major Olympic Games venues for the Brisbane 20 Games venues for the Brisbane 2032 Olympic Games are being um, located or will be located within five kilometres of the Brisbane CBD. Now, this is an Olympic Games that is very different to other Olympic Games events um, that have been held in other host cities. Because of that, we've got to think about how that might change the way we um we conduce the desirability of certain locations around the city. Um, and that all has to come into play in terms of how are we going to house people in the future? Um, and Alex, I guess it leads me to 
back to you in terms of, you know, land zoning for, for higher density development. Um, Brisbane cannot expand out any further if we don't have the, the developable land or the land that can be developed. And therefore, the only way to supply more housing for residents and, and tenants relocating to Brisbane is to go up as opposed to out and, and see some higher density development. Yep. What are you finding in that space? Uh, fragmented still. So um, when I say fragment, I mean, you know, there's 400 square meter lots owned by four, you know 10 different people. All of those needs to be bought up and amalgamated to do a high density development. But I think those kind of pockets like Upper Mount Gravatt, there's some uh, Darras, the whole, pretty much the whole suburb of Darras, medium density or parts of it. So there's all these areas that will come on market and start developing, I think, leading up to the Olympics five years out. Um, smart people will start getting their approvals in the next couple of years and just sit them in place and line up builders and whatnot. But yeah, I think there's, there's definitely a supply there. And I think coming up to the Olympics, whenever anything like this happens, it happened when it came up to the Commonwealth Games. Um, council is just kind of, if you, if you're going to build it, they'll let sell that and they'll approve it. And it did. So if you can, if you can say like, here's my client, they're a seasoned developer. They just finished this project. They really want to start on this one. We just need whatever it is. We need one more unit or it needs to be one story higher coming up to those, whatever it is. We need one more unit or it needs to be one story higher coming up to those Olympics. There'll be pressure from the, from the police just to probably um, on the ground and that sort of issue, it's uh, unlike the land which has zoning and physical constraints, with the exception of fragmentation, I would suggest that medium to high rise is entirely possible. Yeah. It's just that we're in a current blimp in the market where construction costs, as you see, everyone's expectations, so it's just not stacking up at the moment. So people have bought sides based on how much they think they can develop. They've paid, it, it doesn't stack up with construction. Not only that, if you're going to buy a site, you're going, well, construction hasn't really settled yet, so it's very hard to price the site. So if, you know, because something's got to give, if if construction goes up and we know what sales are, the lands are something that's got to give, but they won't commit until that construction price is at least stable. We're here, I don't know, we're hearing materials are stable, but labor's still, they can't quite price it. So I, I keep saying there's very few projects of scale in units that have been developed in recent times. There's sort of two developers, and that's about it. There's lots of small boutique stuff, but in, in affluent areas, but there hasn't, but I think, I think that will change. I just yeah. think, I just think once that this short-term situation steadies down in the next year, all those sites you talked about will get will get cracking. Yeah, and then it's you know it's kind of basic math, really. It's like the ten years ago, people would buy those sites and go, "Sweet, how many units going in on that? Oh, 10, Can we get twelve? Yeah. Give you eleven. Sweet, let's start building." Now it's like, now it's like, all right, we just only just afford it to buy this site. Yeah. Now how much is it to build it? We have no idea. What will council approve? We have no idea. So just that uncertainty in the market. And when it starts, starts to get more certain, the prices go up. If you know how much it's going to cost. And, it, and it, it'll stack up because that detached dwellings is all driven by the difference between what what can you buy a detached house for versus live in a unit or a townhouse. And if it's gone up 40% or come back a bit, mm. units are going to stack up once this construction thing calms down. Absolutely, and we've, we've already seen that um, the unit market's obviously continued to grow at the same time over the last 12 months, so the housing market has been retracting, so we're seeing that shift in demand. Um, and we've also seen through rental data that unit rents have now 
um, grown at a faster rate over a 12 month period in house rents. So we're starting to see how rents stabilise and any you know, rents continue to escalate. And, um, and yeah, Jonathan, what's your comment on that? Is that based on an affordability shift or something else? Yeah, I think we've seen this huge increase in rental prices and, and housing just exploded. And it's just up to stabilise down. And I think that the unit prices were about two years on, and now they're seeing that huge uh, increase in, in rents for units. Mm, that's really interesting. Like that. The rental market was so strong for trial from in rents for units. Mm, that's really interesting. The rental market was so strong for trial from COVID. Everyone else removed their commercial tenancy and working from home and uh, pay six months of the beds. That has stabilised now, and people are picking more than what. But now we're seeing that same thing in the units. So it's, I think the units are now following what the houses would do. Uh, I was at an economic update lunch on Friday for uh, Bank of Queensland and just listening to the chief economist speak. Um, and he was talking about not only are we seeing fewer houses being supplied to the market because construction's down with constraints around development, but we're also seeing a shift in the house composition off the back of COVID. Now, you will recall during COVID, um, you know, people, there was a flight to bigger homes, um, you know, people wanted to be space around them. And we're actually starting to see a reversal in that shift and household size is starting to reduce. Now, where that shift and household size is starting to reduce. Now, whether that's because we started, you know, people were living in close proximity to each other because there were so many lockdowns, they decided that it is their own personal space. So the, the, the size of each household is now starting to um, decrease again, which means we need more relatives to house the same number of people if we're going to have fewer people in each dwelling. So you can see how it is, um, the demand for the property in Brisbane and Southeast Queensland as a whole is being driven by so many different things. Rising population, change in the composition of households, um, a lack of supply. And if we look at what's happened over the last 18 months here in relation to the properties that are available for rent, we've had some big legislative uh, proposed changes um, from our state government here in Queensland, specifically around proposed land tax changes. Um, Nest is actually decarting a nice investment of property were being purchased by owner occupiers predominantly. So what we saw was we saw the um, number or the volume of investment property actually shrink at the same time as we saw this demand increase. So not only that we had a situation where we're seeing a slowdown in the supply of brand new properties coming to the market, we will start a retraction or a reduction in the number of um, established rental properties available in the market and then again that just caused an even larger imbalance at a time where we need housing for uh, to house Brisbane residents. I, I was going to tell us then I know Belinda's got a better memory than probably all of us um, but we were at, <coughs> pardon me, we were at a breakfast uh, again about a week or so ago it was the um, paper breakfast at Property Investment and Professions of Australia and they were talking about the rental market um, a lot of it and how Again, it not being political, but how the government was bringing in all these different rules. Again, it not being political, but how the government was bringing in all these different rules and they're looking to put a cap on rents and all these type of things that they just seem to throw at it. Melinda, um, you can probably give us a little bit of a summary on it. On who owns basically, or who, who basically invests in a property to help up the rental market? So I don't think 
I know exactly the data that you want to reference here. Uh, and it will come through as a shock to many people. The Queensland government to buy only 3% of housing to accommodate uh, private tenants um, throughout the state. That means 97% of rental accommodation is provided by uh, private and the investors. Now, that is out of proportion with every other state in Australia. So, you know, the Queensland government really hadn't had a plan in, in place to bring more rental properties onto um, us. Um, or to the artist to help to alleviate the issues that are having in terms of supply and not a quick and easy uh, solution to do that. But at the same time, 97% of that, um, of the properties that are provided by Armadan landlords to house Queenslanders um, who do rely on rental properties um, to call it at home. And at the same time, these private landlords have been penalised for so many ways to recall um, at but the federal election um, that was now nearly four years ago, there was the provider negative euro changes. That does suit people that are scarce people um, and any legislative change like that can cause a change to the shift in the behaviour of the investors. Uh, off the back of that, we had the Royal Vision. At that time, so when investors hit and penalised with high interest rates and minor occupiers. So again, that a DC sensitive for the people to... Um, Purchase properties to cry out, and a DC incentive for the people to um, purchase properties to cry out accommodation for for Penguin residents. Um, then we had the land tax changes uh, that, that were actually legislated, but they were repealed. So they have been withdrawn, and now we've got the the family are talking about um, you know changing those rental caps. That was a proposal that was put forward um, to just over a week ago. It has been clarified now that there's going to be no caps on those rental limits, but they're going to limit the frequency in which you can actually increase normal um, rent as a landlord. So you've got the comment that it, um, I'm not actually a little bit during COVID, we also saw uh, the government step in and actually overrule the private contractual relationship between a landlord and a tenant, uh, whereby they put those you know, rental. Yeah, they, they, they basically said that you can't actually ask your tenants to, to move out of the property and also if they can't be able, you can't, you know, get them out of the property, uh, which really made sense at the time because it was a very unique situation. But all of these things really um, were to provide a dizzy incentive to those people that are providing the rental accommodation. And it is not a wonder that I'm seeing where people leave the market um, Cash out, settle up, and that's what I've seen in this, this reduction in the decline of the rental properties, and and it's contributed to the situation that we are currently in in relation to you know a real under the supply of a property for the poor. Where's the city significantly? So, for example, all got off in land, have struggled to build their rental businesses, and five years, and you're selling in cash a year, right? And then, and yeah, it's been so interesting to look, um, and then also the building crisis. Land both cost of the owner and riding out is significantly higher. And that there was a model that Daniel was a flask, we crisis. Throughout our albums, they're going to cross start from a rental market because the less supply, the more rents and the bigger deals they're going to get. And all of that, I mean, people do talk about the landlords are the ones that get in greedy and they're putting their rents up, but the landlords are the ones that are following will cost all these things and the interest rates going on, you know, the whole costs. They've, they've got to pay out. 
and, and they're not overcharging. They're just charging what the market is extra size as well. Yeah. I was reading something. It's extra cheaper to rest than it is to buy otherwise. The cost is just that hold and as the property is just cheap. But I think that it's that's understood help it is we're fine leading throughout our home it was really tough to get it renters and crisis is out get any of that but if you're not you're in that but the quicker the two prices tenants are all works at it yeah we're finding we sell the blocks of the units so the owners are using it look not being greedy they are getting more costs but that interest rate's significant so if they're getting you know, whatever return they were getting, if the bank cost has gone up by one, two percent, interest rate's significant. So if they're getting, you know, whatever return they were getting, if the bank cost has gone up by one, two percent, they're looking to pass that on to get the same return. So they have to push the rental up. It's and, and I think the thing with that, Andrew, is that tenants will only pay what they can afford and they'll only pay what the market determines as, as current value. If you add a property from rent and the price is too high, you won't get tenant supply. So it is subject to the supply and demand to some extent as well. So absolutely, as landlords, you know, if we're told that, you know, we should be, well, the government's trying to control the amount of income that we can generate on our rental property. And then yet there's no corresponding cap on the expenses that a landlord has. Again, we're a disincentive for... How are they going to com- combat that? Do you think, John, that, that, that proposed rental should surely a landlord would just think the worst case scenario, you know, hope the market will support it. Like, to me, it's just very inefficient. Yeah, but then it does to the legislation, and that's like a tenanted bias. Right, so... As long as you provide evidence to show about actual increases, the same as the land tax, a lot of things have been discussed. But I agree with you, Melinda, that they should be incentivizing people to investors to buy, and that's how we're going to increase the supply. Um, but none of these reforms and none of the rental changes have made any impact to our business. You just have to be more diligent and you have to really make sure that your ducks are lined in a row to make sure that you don't fall liable to a tenant being able to stay at the property and not get rent increases. Mm. If we talk about supply, and there's two ways to create it, and um, Alex and Andrew, you're in the front the front line for understanding new supply and how we can actually create um, new supply of units, houses, land, etc. Um, whereas investors are, and potentially the government and, and policy around how to incentivize investors, they're in control of established supply, and this is all of supply and potentially incentivizing investors to actually purchase properties to make them available for those tenants that need them is going to be the fastest way to resolve the current issues but that's just not happening and in fact you know I'd eat my hat if that sort of thing did happen because everything that's happened in the last four or five years has really been against the landlord against the investor um, as opposed to trying to incentivize them to help solve the the crisis that we have in terms of housing. So it's a Infields, like that, that's a buyer, as Melinda said. What we see as buyers agents, when you look at existing property, um, listing numbers are extremely low. Um, so there's not a lot out there for people to buy. Um, you talked about some properties, like areas to develop, Alex, and from you guys down the end, where do you see that sort of happening? Is it is it infill? Is it, um, how, do they, how do you think they can improve that side of things? Well, uh, Alex, and... From you guys down the end, where do you see that sort of happening? Is it is it infill? Is it um, how do they? How do you think they can improve that side of things? Uh, f- well, if the numbers to get 
with a larger amount of dwellings built more quickly. To me, if, if there's two options. There's a land on the extremities of town. Look at southeast Queensland. North and, north, north and south of Brisbane are sort of, they're getting pretty full. A little bit of opportunity still loading, but east, that's the water, so you can only go west. So there's an infant supply of land going west, but you've got to have the infrastructure to develop to, to allow that to happen. And a little bit of that Caboolture West, which is north northwest of Brisbane. So you, to me, uh, Alex will speak to this, you've got to unlock that land by the councils and governments working more closely with the environmental and, uh, and all those sort of overlays and including the technical aspects like sewer and water, So, which is the units and townhouses. I think, I think in me, the townhouses is the sleeping giant here. I think that's what needs to happen. Alex, are there any ideas that you have in terms of how that can happen? Because you spoke before about, you know, a lot of the land that could be developed in that way is owned by a number of individual lot owners, which makes it very difficult for a developer to acquire multiple sites, let alone then, you know, allowing the feasibility to stack up to construct the, the property. Are there any solutions that you can see in that regard? I don't think so. I think it's just like a natural... Like we've seen it happen all through those um, urban footprint areas in emerging community zones. You know, there'll be a couple of older owners who've lived there forever. Eventually time will go on. You know, the markets will fluctuate. Someone will, they'll grow older. Someone will come in and convince everyone on that street to sell. And I don't think there's anything in particular that could incentivize those people. Even if there was, I just can't see how it'd be legislated in a way that would, that everyone wouldn't be annoyed. <laughs> so, so the infill side of this to improve, say, say for example, council is to change those those plans that they have about sort of stopping townhouses. And as Andrew said, townhouses are probably the key to that sort of thing. If that was to change that infill and people could do that, maybe that would encourage the older people to sell out. Was that was actually so maybe it's not funny because it will stack up now for a townhouse. Yeah, and then people can actually then come in and develop and create a little bit more. I think a, a nicer infill because, you know, I know that people do talk about um, granny flats and things like that. Um, not, not a person, not a big fan, but, uh, but uh, I have my personal view on that one. But, you know, I would rather see like a town nap development is yeah. a bit nicer than dropping granny flats into the back of sort of properties as well. Well, the other, the other thing too, and, and I don't know the economics of this and you, you are mine better than I do, but it's either the back of sort of properties as well. Well, the other thing too, and, and I don't know the economics of this, and you you are mine better than I do, but most, like the LMR sites, low-medium density sites, which are the infill sites in most local council regions. So if you can do townhouses there, you can also subdivide it. And I would say in the past two, three years, we're probably in those sites, like we used to do like five a week. It was crazy. Like it was unsustainable at the time. Uh, and then now we probably do like one a month. But for townhouses, but subdividing those sites, everyone's like, why would we do three cramped three bedroom townhouses when we can split that down the middle and do two big nice houses on 300 square meter lots? So I'll get, you know, someone's going to like shoot me after I say this, but most councils don't let you subdivide in those areas because they want to, they want higher density development. So Logan, you can't, I mean, can subdivide in low density, low medium density sites, but they don't want you to. So if Brisbane did that, then all of Logan, you can't, I mean, can subdivide in low density, low medium density sites, but they don't want you to. So if Brisbane did that, then all of a sudden, all of those LMR sites might end up with Tanis. Um, 
the like flip side of that is being able to rent your granny flat now you could actually get as an investor you can get a high density by building two houses and two granny flats so you know it depends what you're trying to do like if you're trying to make money you'd probably be best off subdividing and doing a house and two granny flats because you end up with two full big two big assets land four rentable incomes but if you're trying to solve you know get everyone a house and yeah maybe the well, get everyone a house that they can afford and probably turn to. So you said that if you're probably going to sell it, is that what you get? If you're going to sell it, you'd take the two houses or two rent house? Yeah, if, if, if I was doing, if I had one of those sites and I was going to develop it, I'd be doing subdivided down the middle of two houses and two granny flats. And what if they're going to rat it? Uh, granny class to top. Yeah. Rat it. Uh, granny class to top. Yeah. No, no, they can see because you can look at the, the two sides of it. A developer to sell, uh, investor. To rent it, it's completely different now. So, but I think to clarify, this is all long term. This is not going to solve the the process that the papers are screaming about. That where's everyone living? This this takes a long time. So the legislative changes are the ones that can happen quickly, or the financial incentives, or tax incentives, whatever they are. So this is all just for Brisbane, Southeast Queensland's growing population and affordability that that, that that to me is the answer to the stuff we're talking about there but they're two issues it's like the long term and then how to solve this people queuing around the block situation for a for place to live yeah i think this all protects um all these supply issues protect our current investors though like there's yeah. just stability for their rental yields over the next few years to come because there's no supply yeah so we're just going to continue to see increases in don't want because they don't want the cost of renting to continue to escalate because it is becoming unaffordable for a lot of people. You know, but we assess rental affordability as any red sum being 30% less than the total household income of those who occupy the dwelling. Now, of course, that seems to be specific to different demographic groups and different locations because people on different incomes will have different levels of affordability in terms of what they can and how pay for rent. Um, but we may start to see a shift in what people are prepared to compromise on in terms of the rent. Um, and that was to your point, I know that that granny flat legislation is something that the government brought in as um, a way to try and free up some rental supply to bring more properties onto the market. Um, and just recently, it has become legislated, is that right? Or is in the process of being legislated that that's also applicable to the Brisbane City Council region? Yeah. Because it was never applicable to to at a granny flat, you could probably rent it. Like I don't know, like, um, but yeah. So granny, so you know, overnight they just decided that you can rent granny flats, and that just made an absolute. Are we talking just a minuscule difference to the amount of dwellings? Absolutely, but these are these are the things that the government have been implementing, and this is all this is all they're offering. I know all the social housing providers, which is sort of government funded, they're all they've all got their money. They know the money's coming. I want it. Uh, the government, state government, needs a good news story. So they're uh, they're hunting down for the social housing sites at the moment. Are they hunting yeah. any? Well, well, they have fairly strict criteria yeah. because you can imagine the surrounding residents. No one loves that happening in their in their neighbourhood. Yeah. So they like it zoned ready, with all their criteria. Something other night actually, um, there was a a story on. Exactly that. Some some parts of land that they've actually got. Um, I think one was it. Some some parts of land that they've actually got. Um, I think one was it. Side of the queue in different areas, and they've actually got the land to every advance around it, but they just not started it because 
at the moment, it's not a stack under for him to actually do it. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I guess that construction cost probably comes into play. They've got to be wary. I'm like, it'll be a really interesting discussion. Where's everyone going to live when that construction, when that construction cost thing is out of it? Yeah. When the market's adjusted to people who have bought medium to high density sites, have adjusted to current construction pricing, that'll be a very interesting market. I feel, oh, sorry. It, look, I, I think it'll be actually just a more far more normal market. You don't feel, so I, I feel as if as, as the builders and subbies and everyone see, and this is my personal opinion, I'm, I don't get too involved in it, but as they see the, the developer making more money, they're just going to charge more money. Do you, uh, do you see that as a potential outcome? Going to charge more money. Do you, uh, do you see that as a potential outcome? Because I certainly do. Because there's the the prices of yeah, like the price of the of labour is is huge. Like I I don't know what that's increased, but I would imagine at least fifty percent. But like there's still just as many labourers. They're just charging double the amount and being picky, more picky about what they do. So then it's like if if the, everyone's starting to make more money. Because the the prices are matching up and everyone's used to it, I'm just going, oh well, I'll just put a put a bit more on. I don't know. I think it leads us into the the discussion around infrastructure because I think in Southeast Queensland, what we've seen in that construction industry is a big shift of workers to be large government funded projects. Where we've got the Ferrosity River Rail, we've got Queens Wall, we've got North government funded. Queens Wall is privately funded, but we've got some massive infrastructure. The development, we've got the really sort of natural underway. We're also going to see redevelopment of the GABA. GABA, we're going to see really sort of light. We've got the really sort of natural underway. We're also going to see redevelopment of the GABA. GABA, we're going to see really sort of live uh, constructed. These things require labour and to the labour, um, you know, for the labour pool from the general market to go onto these big project, projects means the availability of labour for the smaller projects is, is, is more. Uh, limited and I guess because of that lower supply they have the ability to charge higher prices if that's I don't think you'll matter too much because as I said if, if you've got a development and one of the elements and it'll be the feasibility it's like how much it sells for they can work out that yeah what are the costs involved in the miscellaneous costs like marketing finance that sort of stuff and and then the construction costs and like the market will settle yeah. it's so if labor goes up labor goes up just like concrete goes, labor goes. I mean, I totally agree because all that all that workers are competing, and and it'll just go up. So somebody's got to give, and the only lever they can give to make the development, somebody's got to give, and the only lever they can give to make the development stack up is land. So I just think the market will adjust on that land thing, and the market will just work through where people paid higher prices, and and people will start have to start selling, particularly out in the city where they might be more geared, and and it'll it'll just adjust, and that'll be. It'll work its way through, and land land will come down to some of that stuff. But the sort of difference is those owners in that middle, that middle, you know, the middle market. They're they're sort of more geared, where the land supply in that extremities where you do the land subdivision, the extremities of town. Quite often, that's just mums and dads owners who have bought, uh, paid a million dollars to live in the extremities of town. Maybe they paid a lot less actually, and they like a pony and. They like quieter living. All of a sudden, through population growth and a favourable town plan, they're, they're five hundred a million dollar. Like the land's now worth eight million, but they're actually more still not sophisticated enough to sort of go and borrow against that. That land out there doesn't matter, but I, I think it'll start to churn. The market will start turning, and that, and it'll just land values will come down. And 
and we're open to stabilise. And, and look, we talk about a lot of problems, but where are the opportunities? The opportunity is a medium density product. Or if you can buy land, take, have the guts to buy land on the fringes of the Southeast Queensland Regional Plan, that's not constrained. So there are the opportunities. Where are you seeing those opportunities, Andrew, in the ARC and in Brisbane at the moment? In what location? Uh, what location? People are going to just take a long-term view. There's just been, I cannot stress enough how little units and townhouses have been developed. Phenomenal low. And land, if it's this work. It's what I was talking about. It's, it's the fragmentation, which is the issue. So if you're clever enough to put three or four owners together and fair play to you, because that's like herding cats <laughs> with greedy kids in the background. <laughs> Are you seeing anything that is an emerging market? I know it's something that we've, we've uh, seen discussed at presentations that we've attempted. Um, and again, the big obstacle there is the feasibility, you know, getting them out of the ground and getting them... I haven't done a lot of it. There's, I mean, there's sort of four or five things that are on the go in, in Brisbane at the moment. Um, but I'm not sure the press about that topic is reflective of the amount of activity that's actually there. To me, the market's all about the flavour of the month is sustainability and build to rent. That's all anyone wants to talk about. It. I'm not sure it's on the ground as issues. No. Interesting because you know, we're led to believe there's this future supply coming, but I don't think what's clear here in our discussions tonight that it's just not there. I just don't think it's been identified as the difference between a large scale residential unit complex versus the build to rent. I, I don't think the market understands it tonight, but it's just not there. I just don't think it's been identified as the difference between a large scale residential unit complex versus the build to rent. I, I don't think. And market understands it. I don't myself. When I go to the ownership structure, and it's a unique Australia is in this position, we haven't had it, but it hasn't actually been explained very well to the public. What's the big difference? Like, where are the difference in, like, the years of less car parking? Does that make it better? Is there, is there more common facilities? Like, the market doesn't know. It's like, oh, that sounds cool. The rest of the world's doing it. So we, we should be up for that. They're illustrative. The gravity plots, small. You have that. Oh, shut up. You speak fine. And a hard go car. What fair? Yeah. I mean, now that. So it's, it'll be great to student us and for young know, fresh fellas, but not for families. And then yeah. that people point in supply, that's better. So there's the building the product and the supplying the product that the bar of any needs to buy. This is maybe a mean and I didn't roll. I did even touch on Alice, this is where your expertise might come in. Rhythm's sustainable growth strategy. Uh, now, as recently as a couple of weeks ago, we heard Brisbane's Lord Mayor come out as to talk about, you know, the potential rezoning of residential lands a much higher density um, around some of the major shopping precincts in Brisbane and, and some of the sites that were uh, included and come out of this growth strategy are uh, really Dumble, Tawal, Chermside, Paradale and Garden City. Now, of course, it is not only that it's already zoned, but the, the higher density there is the medium density around these sites, but um, that the potential for the rezone. And then we also heard uh, the, the Lord Mayor state that South Risen will be similar in height to the CBD through residential high density development, and it will look like the same CBD. What do you say to that? Will it be similar in height to the CBD? 
through residential high density development and it will look like the same CBD. What do you say to that? Yeah, I mean, so when these, so these are guidelines, these documents that come out, they're kind of like, you know, this would be lovely if this happened, it's the policy. Um, that said, it very much drives what happens in the planning teams. So, you know, it's for sure short-sighted. So, and the reason I say that, I, I haven't read the document top to bottom, and I'm sure it's very well written and thought out, but, you know, I know that a lot of the, a lot of the land that it's taking out is, it is industrial land. So, council... 10 years ago, put out an industrial growth strategy, which basically said there's not enough industrial land. And they really did it like a year ago. And we're like, there still isn't enough. We need to protect industrial land at all costs. And then like six months later, like, oh, you know, we're going to rezone all of that to residential. So like, are they just now, because it just went up substantially, unless of course, someone already owned that land by chance. And then that's probably what's happened. But um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a good, you know, Anything is a good thing, I think, at this point in time. I, I don't think Riz is doing a terrible job of trying to incentivize residential growth. But, you know, well, once those changes start actually happening to the planning scheme, because right now that document's just like a lovely document for the media. But when those things start actually getting implemented into the planning scheme, I really hope it's done well. Because if it's not done well, it's just going to be an absolute nightmare and cause more, cause more headaches than it's actually, you know. I think they might lend you to the AIB of the shop and 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 the shop the shop and the shop and the shop and the shop and the the so, you know, it makes sense to upzone in those areas, which some of them don't, you know, they don't have, like they're covered with low need, low interact industry uses. It's like, what the hell is this doing here? It should be somewhere else. People should be living here. So it makes sense, but yeah, I just hope it's rolled out properly. And then to your point earlier, Andrew has to, you know, uh, opening up more land that, that can potentially be redeveloped in the future as well. I think that the important thing that people need to understand is, um, that demand uh, needs to be close to plants. It needs to be close to, you know, jobs, etc. Otherwise, we're just going to create another headache, which is going to be transport, transportation, and to um, you know, the road, more more road traffic, etc. Every every Queensland or everyone that relocates to to Queensland to Brisbane, generally, and they'll bring a car because if it's another car on the road. Uh, I read a report how because if it's another car on the road. Uh, I read a report how LACQ did recently, which indicated that the traffic close to phone grid is, is actually was as good as pre COVID. And, and that's not a surprise when we look at some of the population growth figures that, um, that, that we got. And I'm just going to read this out to you because this is actually incredible. And the number of people per week that relocated to Brisbane uh, up to the, in the year up to September 2022, which is the most recent art that just did released um, last week. 2,201 people relocated to Queensland every single week. So that this is huge, huge volume as a people. Every person that relocates needs a home and they need someone to live. So uh, most people will literally rent, which is why there's there's an interest to live in that rent market. What they don't know where they want to live, then they potentially would buy. Not only do you have a 
not enough rental properties available to rent. We've also got, um, we'll be thinking along units in terms of sales, um, that are cracking at the moment. We'll be thinking along units in terms of sales, um, that are cracking at the moment. About 30% lower than our five year average. So it's across the board. There's not a lot to rent, there's not a lot to buy. And then, yeah, we've got more and more people about hating, wanting to buy, we're clicking rent. And then, from what we've discussed tonight, it just doesn't appear to, to be in any immediate solutions um, that, it, that, that are out there. I don't think so, no. It, I mean, you can't know. I think the campaign may be the one that we're up here. I think they were already lucky. Um, we have our lifestyle affordability, and that's just another reason. So, I mean, if you want to book this pay, is it more affordable as well? And you talk over the rent side of it, uh, the housing, you go down to that SCC or Melbourne. Yeah, they have me We might have all. I think to the city of Tetas because. I just think it's a good it's a good story. There's, I just don't think the press is. I think the press is reflective of of the long term market. I mean, you talked about the market's up forty percent, and then people have given back eight. Like, you go to the casino and you're up a hundred dollars, and you walk out. 92, you're still in front, aren't you? Like, there's a, there's, we're, we're not bad whingers in Australia. So <laughs> I, I think if you're looking at the long-term, medium, look, just past the short-term, it's very favourable. So we're talking about a lot of problems, but the positives are with this much population growth, we've still got a house price difference between the southern states. And unlike in the past, all the infrastructure is talked about. I mean, this has to be delivered because of the Olympics. I mean... As a real commercial real estate agent, when you talk about the Olympics, I sort of wince because it sounds like you're promoting something for one month. But what I'm promoting is guaranteed jobs. So yeah. all these people who relocating, they actually are going to have a job. Yeah. So that's the difference. So it's a very positive story. The market's just gone through a bit of an abnormal time and it's adjusting. But, you know, buyers out there, kid in there and have a crack now. Does this, if I cannot see it going, does this, if I cannot see it going, labor's not going down. Construction costs are going at best steady. There's pockets were a bit quieter than normal, so developers should be buying sites. So look, this is this is the sort of blimp you want to go for now. I, I like the way you put that in. I mean, it's when you talk about media, media good news just doesn't sell newspapers. It's usually the, the sad stories or the doom and gloom, but that's what people are for seeing. It's not the good news that people go, Oh, I want to listen to all that good news. Because if you look at what we're talking about, property prices are a grading in Southeast Queensland. The, the amount of people that want to buy, that want to move here, that want to live here, invest, purchase, whatever it is, it, it's just such just encourage all, all people to look in the detail because, yeah. as we said, Australians have a very high ownership percentage compared to the other part of the world. So if it's a slow day of the newspapers, anything related to a property is going to get interest. Run, you know, our podcast, Brisbane Property Podcast, every week. We, we try to actually. Um, cut through the headlines because a lot of the headlines that we consistently hear are not actually in line with what we might be seeing on the ground might being out every weekend. And I absolutely agree with your your message there, Andrew. Whilst we focused on the fact that there is a shortage of properties to buy, a shortage of properties to rent, um, let's not forget the fundamentals and, and what that means. When you have a shortage of something um, and yet you've got high demand, it means prices are likely to escalate upward. Um, now, yes, we've seen some retraction, especially in the housing market over the last 12 months. We hit a peak in June last year and, and it's come off, but we, we've stabilised and in fact, we're expecting um, the current month's data to show some very, very modest uh, price improvements at a median level. Um, that said, 
We've also been in an interest rate environment that's been increasing. Um, not many people in the last 10 years have experienced an interest rate environment that's been increasing. Um, not many people in the last 10 years have experienced um, such a rapid rise in, you know, in interest rates. A lot of people have got into the market when interest rates have only ever been declining. So it's just different. It feels different. And the fundamentals really haven't changed for Brisbane. What's changed is consumer confidence. And the big thing that has influenced and swayed consumer confidence is the media and the media messaging. And, you know, as soon as we remove some of the sensationalized headlines and we get back to the basics of what's actually happening on the ground, what are we seeing in terms of supply and in terms of demand? And what does that mean for prices long term and sustainability long term of property markets? The story is a very good news story in that regard. And I think let's not forget that um, as we're sharing all of this information about where people want to live. The bad news story, I guess, if you want to take it there is, is it's going to be tough for tenants. And, you know, there's really no short-term solution that is in sight. So, you know, I think that's probably the hardest thing for people that do rely on on providing or, or, or renting in, in the market. Um, it is going to continue to be tough if you are a renter in the market, especially here in Brisbane. Um, so, you know, potentially compromising on what type of property that you're wanting to live in is going to be the best way to ensure that you're not spending too much of your, your take-home income um, on accommodation. But then on the positive, that, as I said, is the investor side of it. You probably get a tenant. Yeah. So if you, can, if you can afford to buy a property and the demand is there, I mean, we, we went to a property last week, um, for example, here, and this shows you the demand side of it. There were over 50 groups at this property. We actually had a look at it. And then when they had the open home, there was over 50 groups, 11 offers, one other property. Now, that's not what people want to buy property. So, you know, there's that demand there. Um, I think if you're an investor or people want to buy property, buy, no, people want to buy that sort of product. And you know, you're probably around it out. Yeah, so it's, it's a positive thing for an investor if that's what people are looking for um, and they're looking to buy in, in sort of Brisbane and South East Queensland, it's, it's an affordable area and, and you'll get good tenants for it, I'd say. I did want to say at this point, if um, any of the audience do have questions, you're welcome to, to send them through. We are um, happy to answer questions, but we will be wrapping up very soon. So uh, if no questions do come through, then we'll just keep um, uh, concluding with the topics that we're talking about. So I, I'll just give a little bit of a summary of, of everyone. I'll throw everyone in the out to everyone to have a little bit of a comment on where we where we see things happening, where we see things changing. Um, again, at one of the breakfasts we went to, there's a couple of a couple of ones I'll mention. There was a, a developer. I won't say who they were. Um, they do some quite a lot of big developments. Um, they actually said at that that they had about ten million dollars worth of um, uh, product that is almost none of it's pre-sold, and they're actually waiting to finish everything to bring it to the market. Um, I can tell you off air for you later too. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even want to know who it is. Um, and then, you know, and then there's others that, you know, we, there was another guy that was talking about an analyst that we, we were talking to and he was talking about the, the you know, the, the Europe, um, the English model. So over in England, how they, how they build the towers to, you know, to supply for people for accommodation. And, and he said, yeah, that could be something they might look at here is building towers to rent. Um, but what's going to happen to those towers? Will they just turn into the slums, the slums and mm -hmm. like other places over Europe? So it does rely a lot on their private investors to supply that rental market. Um, and that's where I think we've got to encourage more of that to, to supply accommodation for people. 
the private investors to get involved into something that they can afford and is affordable now, which I know, as you said, Andrew, we don't talk about the Olympics on that just change, but it's what is going to happen in the lead up to it. It's not the Olympics. It's the infrastructure and the change in Brisbane, especially what's going to happen in that this next nine, 10 years. Yeah. The Olympics will come and go, but the legacy that it will leave and how it's going to change Brisbane. It's just going to be phenomenal. It'll change. It'll change Brisbane forever. I think. Yeah, it's exciting. So it is very exciting. Bit of a summary. Um, I'll throw it to Alex to start. What are, what are your thoughts? And yeah, what, what do you think? What do you, what's your uh, what's your magic solution? Do we do we rezone? Do we um, do we change things? Do we what do we do? Yeah, look, I don't think it's so. I don't think it's a planning solution. I, like. I always say everything you know can be solved with a good town planner, but um, not really. But um, I don't think it's a planning solution. I think it's an economics issue. I think there needs to be some kind of stimulus. But like it is very doom and gloom seemingly right now. But like I saw the GFC and and I was like, yeah, it's all over. Like that was fun. Like I suppose I'll go back to uni and study something else. And then you know everything came good. Yeah. And then that's happened in my career, you know, three or four times. Mm-hmm. And every time something ne- really bad's going to happen and Everything just kind of shifts around, finds its balancing spot, and then everyone's okay. So I think right now, with the press and the media, everything's kind of doom and gloom. Everything's really bad. And it is for some people. Like, I'm not discounting that. But I think I have a feeling it's just going to work itself out, to be honest. Help. So you've heard that from Alex. If, if anyone's interested or anyone needs help with town planning, re- reach out to Stefan Town Planning, and, and they will definitely help you out. Andrew? Uh, well, I think... If we talk about all the problems we've discussed, I think they're twofold. The first one is that immediate affordability where, you, where can you rent? I, I don't quite know the answer, but I think it's got to be something legislative to do, uh, encouraging people from legislative to do, uh, encouraging people from investors from a financial point of view, because it's got to happen quickly. It's going to take far too long to build everything to solve that immediate problem. So that'd be my. That's sort of my thinking of that on the first part of the problem, um, and the second part is just we are we are in a in a market in a location in the world which is getting a lot of population growth, and it's been like that for a while, but it's really amping up now. It's an exciting time, um, so it looks like as has always been the case that we are a bit undersupplied with land, so the land boundaries are going to be pushed out. The governments and councils have got to talk to each other more to make sure it's actually usable land. And I just see so much uh, capacity in those middle suburbs for either m- medium-rise units or or, uh, or townhouses. I, I really think that can get some big numbers in. And granny flats, we're, we're fiddling at the edges enough of that. And have have that some big numbers in. And granny flats, we're fiddling at the edges enough of that. And have have that that agree. Yeah, but again, Andrew Burke, Ray White Special Projects. Um, if there's anything you need, obviously with those, that side of things, reach out to Andrew. He's always happy to help. Jonathan, I think um, I get to privilege of working with lots of sophisticated investors, um, and I never hear an owner say, "I wish I sold earlier." But they all say, "I wish I never sold." Yeah. Um, and I think over the next ten years. Um, we I feel like we've won the lottery to live yeah. in Brisbane and be part of the property market. Um, and I think people who are investing now or have invested are going to see uh, some really good results um, over the next 10 years, and I'm excited to be part of it. Cool. Very positive. Thank you. Yeah. Jonathan Bell, Housemark. So 
any property management side of things, reach out to Jonathan. I'll throw it over to you, boss. Look, I'm going to take an approach where I'm going to agree with uh, and, uh, some of Andrew's recommendations. I think that rather than disagree with uh, and, uh, some of Andrew's recommendations, I think that rather than disincentivizing private mum and dad investors, um, we need to see some incentive to to encourage more investors to get into the market here in Queensland. If we provide 97 percent of the rental accommodation for Queenslanders, um, we need to actually up the ante in terms of encouraging more people to invest, to actually open up immediate housing for people that, that need it. So that would be my solution. Um, obviously, you know, the likelihood of that, um, pretty slim, but um, I think that's the only immediate solution that we can see. Fantastic. So Melinda, myself, Streamline Property Buyers, up. Thanks for tuning in today. Please remember everything we have spoken about on this podcast is general in nature and we always recommend that you obtain independent advice in relation to your specific circumstances. If you liked today's episode, don't forget to subscribe or leave us a review on iTunes and of course, tell your friends about us. If you would like to get in contact, please visit www.brisbanepropertypodcast.com.au or email us at info at brisbanepropertypodcast.com.au. Feel free to send in any questions and we will try to answer them in future episodes.